Hello and welcome to The Mock Review with Ben and Drew. My name is Drew Evans. And my name is Ben Garner. And today on the podcast, we are going to be discussing the first week of regionals that has just gone through. We'll be talking a little bit about the wrap-up of the January Invitationals. But first things first, we have a guest on the show today. We are joined by Haley Walker of Juniata College. Um, we're very fortunate to have Haley on with us. Uh, Juniata College, obviously, this is their first year in the mock trial circuit, but they sent not one but two teams to the state college regionals where their B team managed to get a very impressive bid out of a very competitive regionals. And we're so glad to have Haley on. So, Haley, welcome. Hi. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. All right. So, Haley, we're going to start things off the way that we like to start things off with our guests. Uh, basically, how did you get started at Mock Trial? What was the driving force? Was this a high school venture? Was it a college venture? How did it, how did it all happen? Yeah. So, for me, I did Mock Trial 10th, 11th, and 12th grade in high school. Um, and actually, my coach is now the coach at Juniata, which is kind of how I got into it whenever it hit college level. Um, but I am a senior now, so this is my first year of college mock trial um, and our first teams. <laughs> and so what was the motivation to start the team? I mean, you just mentioned that your coach kind of joined. Was that a recent addition? How did that all happen? Yeah, so what happened was our high school started getting more and more successful. And my junior year, we actually won states and went on. Um, and so I think he my coach kind of felt like he had done his part there and he wanted to move on a little bit. And then um, at Juniata, actually, my freshman year, there was talk of us trying to start one and it just didn't really get its way until this year my coach was hired for my school. Um, and he's actually our general counsel here now also. And so he was able to kind of get the footing a little bit more and the school was very supportive of it. And so that's kind of how it got started. That's awesome. I mean, I think that the thing that really impressed me about you guys is that in your first year, you were able to field two teams. Uh, I think that that's a pretty impressive feat to come to just most of the time. In your very first year, you're worrying about one team. Um, and obviously, having a coach helps that process a lot. But how was that whole process? I mean, you're the president of the program. So how much of the conversation was one versus two versus however many teams you wanted? Oh my gosh, at the beginning, there was like 30 plus students that were signing up. Um, we have a, a thing here at Juniata where people can discover the different clubs and write their names down if they're interested. So we ended up with a really large number. Um, <laughs> and then, of course, over time, that kind of dwindled down. Um, but it came down to we ended up having like 20 some, it's like 22 students that were very solid and were coming to every single practice, every meeting. And we were just like, okay, how do we have some type of tryout to figure out who's going to be on the team? Because obviously we couldn't have 22 people on one team. Um, and it came down to that we had the commitment. So my coach asked our school if they would be able to fund two teams. And they said, yes, absolutely. So we ended up keeping just two teams. And then even then we had to do tryouts to figure out who was going to have what part. And like after each tournament, we figured out maybe if we were going to kind of cut someone or put them in a different role and see who fit best where. Well, Haley, that's a perfect segue to my next question, because obviously as a first year program, you know, you guys competed at some invitationals in order to figure out, you know, the right roles for people and things like that. I know that uh, your teams and my B and C teams were at the Johns Hopkins invitational felt like according to the coaches who were there, they spent the whole weekend hitting each other. So, a sort of a two-part question, which is one, uh, what invitationals did you guys get a chance to go to uh, and how did you use those to prepare? And then also, you know, we've talked on the podcast about first-year programs and sometimes having trouble getting access to invitationals. And did you guys run into any of that with maybe not being able to go to certain invitationals? You don't have to say specific ones, but just did you run into any issues with uh, not being able to go to any invitationals that maybe you were looking to go to or anything like that? Um, so we, oh my gosh, we went to, we went to, I'm sorry, I can't remember the, the exact name of the one we went to in Connecticut right now. Um, but we went to one in Connecticut in the very beginning. That was our first tournament that we went to. Um, and 
it was it was a good tournament. It was our first one, so we kind of didn't really know what was going on or what exactly the tavern was and the captain's meeting. <laughs> so we tried to kind of get our feet going there. Um, and then we went to the St. Bonaventure one, and that worked out really well for our A-team because um, we ended up winning that one. Um, and then we went to Johns Hopkins, and we also went to Carnegie Mellon. And they were they were all pretty good tournaments for us. Um, and I know there were there was an issue with getting into like with the Johns Hopkins tournament. There were we wanted to take both teams, and we only have one coach. So having one team go to one tournament and another team go to a different one wasn't really ideal because we didn't have someone else really to go with them. Um, whenever we were first looking at scheduling the tournaments. So we were looking at, like, there's one in Massachusetts that we were looking at, seeing if we could get two teams there. And basically everyone was like, sorry, one team first, and then we'll decide. We've never even heard of you, like, <laughs> you know. Um, and we made it through and ended up getting both teams a spot for the tournaments. But I think it is really difficult in the beginning. You kind of have to, like, my coach was, he's pretty experienced, um, and he also, I think, I think was a coach at a school before ours um, for two years. So he had a little bit of say in the way like he knew a few different people, but I think it is really difficult as a first year program to kind of get your footing and get people to understand that you can be competitive and that you will be a competitive school, even though it is your first year. So I think with that sense, yeah, we did have some difficulty, but hopefully next year won't be as difficult. (laughs) Well, certainly not with the performance that you guys had at regionals, and that is the perfect transition that we need. So moving on to regionals, obviously, uh, that's where the playing field levels, teams that were at nationals last year, teams that uh, it's their first year competing are all together. So, you know, just walk me through the the first round, obviously, like as the A team, find out you're facing Columbia B. And I'm just wondering, you know, What's the analysis there? What What's going through your minds and how did that round go for you guys? Yeah, so we go into regionals and we're like, okay, uh, we could we could have a shot maybe. We just got to work really hard. And we're like, the first, like the two teams, we just really don't want to play. Like, we really don't want to go against Columbia or Cornell. <laughs> and so we're like going through. Oh, I, I hope you didn't say it out loud because otherwise you doomed yourselves. Oh, we do ourselves <laughs> without saying it out loud. But we're sitting there and we're like, all right. And they, they name the first two teams and it's Columbia um, A versus Cornell. I don't remember if it was A or B for Cornell. But we're like, oh, yes, wonderful. Like, we don't have to. Like, we're saved. <laughs> and then it goes on and it gets to Juniata and it goes, Juniata, Columbia B. And we're like, oh no <laughs> okay <laughs> and so we're like we really need to get our craft together guys like come on we can do this like and so we went through and it actually was a really really great trial um their team was wonderful we ended up splitting um that vote which was really really cool to be able to say that we could kind of stick up with Columbia um even if it was their B team that we were able to go against them and feel like we weren't just getting completely killed um, so it was a really cool feeling. And then we're like, all right, since we split with them, maybe we'll get like an easier team the second time. <laughs> <laughs> and then we got Cornell. <laughs> and Cornell, they were just, they were wonderful. Every single one of their ter- attorneys were just so smooth. And um, I think they, we didn't get killed by them, but they rightfully beat us. They were a very, very good team. Um, so I think that was kind of like a, We had gone against a ton of different teams in the tournaments that we felt like we were getting prepared, but that was really a moment of one where we realized, okay, we really did work hard and our hard work has been pulling through for us and we we can actually maybe make it through this. And then also a moment of like, okay, yes, we've been working really hard, but we still have a lot of work we can do. Um, So then after that, we played Allegheny and Allegheny, they're a really, really sweet team. Um, all of their attorneys were very, very sweet. Um, they were just fun to go against. And then NYU, we knew it was coming down to that that trial. And it was basically, we knew we had to win both ballots or we weren't going to take the seventh spot. And we ended up splitting with them. So 
that's okay though. <laughs> it was it was rough. They were also very good. Um, they had a closer that was phenomenal. I don't know if I've ever seen a closer that was as good as she was. Oh, uh, Lindsay. Lindsay is yes. particularly good. Yes. She was wonderful. <laughs> so uh, it is a very impressive uh, just in general to ever come away from regionals with a, a combined strength of 22. So definitely hats off to you guys for having such a difficult schedule and doing as well as you did through that. Uh, the team I want to focus on, though, is your B team yeah. that managed to make it out with with a very impressive six and a half win record. So, how involved were, were you and your coach with that B team, or was it pretty separate? And you know, I'm guessing there was a lot of excitement for them, but how was that for you know your experience as an A member watching their success? Yeah, I think so. At the time, I think whenever it was first happening, it was this bittersweet feeling where you're like you're really proud of them because our team had become very, very close. Like you knew who was on a team and who was on B team, but all throughout the different tournaments, we were switching people back and forth, trying to figure out who was our best setup. Um, And so our teams have gotten really, really close and we really cared about each other. And so that was really exciting for us to see that they get to move on um, and that they, they did really well and they've worked so hard. Like, if if you would have seen our team <laughs> the very first tournament, <laughs> you would have been like, yeah, Juniata is not going to go too far. Um, but honestly, people put in so much work on both sides of the team, and we tried to really make sure that we were helping as much as we could. Um, I think that the B team will still do well. Um, we're kind of – so they have – they only had eight people that were on their roster. And then one of them can't move on to orcs and then, or couldn't. And now there's a second one that also can't. Um, so we're keeping all of our B team that, that one deserves to move on. They deserve to, to go and experience orcs and see where they go from there. But we're also going to fill those spots that were open in the roster. So we won't be replacing anyone. We'll just be filling the roster so that it does have 10 members instead of just the seven, six or seven now. Awesome. Well, that's that's really great. I mean, I think that uh, as a fellow, you know, newer program um, and from the state of Pennsylvania, it's always great to see uh, up and coming programs being successful and doing well. And uh, it was awesome to see you guys shock a couple people with your results there. Um, so, Haley, thank you so, so much for coming on and, and chatting with us a little bit. It was great to have you on. And uh, yeah, Ben. Yeah, Haley, congratulations. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, guys. It was nice talking with you. Welcome back to the Mock Review with Ben and Drew. It was really, really great to chat with uh, Haley from Juniata, and now we want to take a little bit of time to go through some stuff that we've missed over the last couple of uh, weeks and months as, as we've been preparing for regionals. Uh, the last time that we got a chance to talk with um, all of you was before the uh, January Invitational season had wrapped up, and then obviously we've got one week of regionals under our belt. So taking a quick step back before we dive into all the regionals results that we've got, Drew, you guys got to go to... Um, what was supposed to be called the downtown and then the uh, federal government shutdown uh, made it uh, turn into the uh, shutdown showdown. Uh, with, I think basically the same field. Uh, it looks like it was a really good time. I know it was hosted at, at Brooklyn law. Uh, how was that experience? You guys have a good time. Yeah. Oh, it was really, really great. Uh, I think that there was a, a funny little escapade of January tournaments just falling through for a variety of reasons. And I think that, a lot of these teams, really the two ones that I'm focusing on are obviously uh, NYU's downtown and then Cornell's uh, brick. Uh, obviously, both are very established teams. They're very well-run tournaments, and I think that both of them not being able to happen were for reasons that were unavoidable to both teams, whether it was the weather or the shutdown. Um, but really, uh, as far as the shutdown showdown went, it was a really, really fun tournament. And I think that it was said a lot over that weekend, but I think it represented a lot of the best things in mock trial of teams coming together and finding a way to make it work, whether it was putting up, you know, 
a lot of extra money up front from roads or, you know, making those calls to reserve the Brooklyn Law School. But uh, whatever happened, we made it work. There were two judges in each round. And uh, that was really fun to get to to go and compete at. And obviously, the teams there were fantastic, uh, as you can see from our poor record. But uh, it was a lot of fun. I mean, it was a great experience to have. And it's always fun to get to compete at that high of a level. Um, Obviously, while that was happening, there were a couple other tournaments going on, including Hilltop, which you, Ben, were at. And I've heard you guys did pretty well there, a little bit different from us. So how was how was Hilltop, man? Hilltop was, as usual, a very, very well-run tournament. We're great friends with the folks at Georgetown, and they do an exceptional job every year. We were fortunate enough to win that tournament, and, and I was obviously very pleased with that. It's always nice to win a tournament. But, you know, I, I really just enjoy go into their tournament every year they've got good judging they uh run things on time it's in a great location uh so you know if you're not uh already trying to go to hilltop i certainly uh would recommend it i i really have nothing but but great things to say about the tournament as a whole um and there were a couple other invitationals right Drew? i mean i think right, right. we had ramblin wreck and chicago fire so some really great high end invitationals. yeah yeah you classic as well yeah, I mean, it, we're kind of reaching that point in the year where, you know, it's right before regionals and we've got a lot of these really high profile tournaments and we're starting to see. And I think that a lot of the time the fall semester is kind of when we're a lot of teams are unstacked, people kind of figuring out where, where they're doing. Um, but uh, this is where we start to see who's who's looking really strong um, out of Ramblin' Rec just to start that was one of the earlier ones, um, UVA's B team actually won that, which definitely was very, very impressive. Uh, that was a true B team. Their A team also did very well. But uh, if UVA hasn't won enough in the fall, they're letting us know that they're still out there. Right. Um, <laughs> not, not, that, not that we were, you know, not thinking they were, but <laughs> right. they, they, they'll remind us. Oh, of course. They're, they're not going to let us forget anytime soon. And then if you travel out to the West Coast at U Classic, um, UC Irvine actually took first there, which was very, very impressive showing for them in a very, very tough field. Um, so that's definitely looking good for Irvine, considering they did as well as they did at uh, Nationals last year. They're looking like that was far from a fluke, and they want to get back and prove to Yale B that they are a whole one OCS better than them this time. Um, <laughs> but uh, definitely looking good for them. Uh, and then Chicago Fire was the last one. Uh, Chicago Fire and uh, is actually the the only other tournament aside from the Grand Ole Tournament hosted by Vanderbilt that does this cool format of uh, the tournament style, where basically the first day is a round robin with you and two other teams, and then the winner of each round robin is then a set of four teams, and they all play each other, and then the last round is the two winners of those rounds and the championship. Uh, and what this does is it's kind of a cool style of doing it, but it's also fun in that you compete as a program instead of just a single team. So each program sends two teams to represent their program. And uh, as a result, it's uh, it's a really fun tournament from what I've heard. I hear very good things about it. Uh, Chicago, uh, they won their own tournament, um, which is starting to become a trend here between Yale winning their tournament, UVA winning theirs, Chicago now winning theirs. Uh, it's either that or just some of these teams are, are pretty good and unsurprisingly do pretty well at any Invitational they're at. Yeah, yeah. I, th I think it's like these these are great programs and they run great tournaments. And then, yes, they also happen to win their own tournaments, which, you know, I I think everyone when, when, you know, the team hosting wins the tournament, there's always a moment of like, oh, wait a second. But, you know, like obviously Chicago is a, a phenomenal program. Right. Uh, we were bummed too. I, I you mentioned brick and, and, you know, we're great friends with the folks at Cornell and we've been to brick before. And uh, obviously Ithaca in January, you're always, you know, you're dealing with potential weather issues and we were going to, we we're supposed to take both of our teams, our A and B teams up to brick. And mm -hmm. I really wish we'd gotten a chance to do that. We're looking forward to hopefully, you know, going back in 2020, assuming they do it in January because they run a great right. tournament up there as well. And it was a bummer. Uh, obviously, we would have liked the practice, especially, you know, maybe against some teams we might see in Islip. But uh, ultimately, uh, I, I'm i looking forward to going back to Brick in the future. I was kind of bummed that it had to get called off. But with the snow forecast that weekend, you know, there was, there was really no choice. 
Yeah, we felt the same way. I think that we were definitely looking forward to it. It's another one of those very high-profile tournaments that um, Cornell is very well known for running a very, very solid tournament. And yeah, I mean, I think that when it comes to safety, you know, we we just can't take those types of risks. And I, I respect them making that call. It's a, it's a tough call. It's losing a lot of money. It's something that people get pretty excited about for for the most part, I think people do. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's not an easy call to make, but, you know, sometimes safety calls. But uh, moving back to shutdown showdown, um, I think that that to me is, as you said before, it's the closest we get to the downtown, which is normally about as good as it gets for an indicator for nationals, particularly with it being on the Northeast. I think there's definitely a difference in the judging pool in Philadelphia than in Brooklyn. But um, definitely, you know, we're still getting a sense of these these really top teams and how they're doing. And uh, the results were pretty much what you would expect. Uh, Yale was absolutely fantastic. Uh, it went seven and a half. And I can say that I played them in a round and uh, it was a really, really fun round to have. I, I'm, I'm glad that I got to do it. Um, I'm very, very good friends with a lot of the people at Yale. Um, obviously, we've spoken with Elizabeth on the podcast, but they're a really, really tremendous team and they are not messing around. Something else that I, I wanted to highlight, though, from Shutdown Showdown was something cool that they did with their awards. So essentially what happened was instead of giving awards based on how many ranks you got, they well, they did based on the number of ranks, but they divided it up based on how many ranks for each role. So essentially there was one person that got an award for the very best plaintiff opener at the tournament, and then one for the plaintiff middle, and then one for the plaintiff close, similarly for the defense. And then there were the overall and the overall runner-up in Elizabeth and Sabrina, um, both of which are obviously stupendous and no surprises there. They're, they're both decent. Yeah, they're okay <laughs> at this activity, you know. Um, and then similarly for the witnesses, they did one for each witness, um, one Alex Grace, one Danny Kozak, so on and so forth. And I think this was a really cool way of doing the awards because it kind of highlights this is the absolute best at their role. So it may be that there are other people that are scoring better, but that may be because that's an easier witness to score well on. So I really like that this kind of highlighted who is the best at what they're doing. And I think that a lot of the results tell a very interesting story. The fact that Yale had seven and a half wins and had three of their four attorneys take home attorney awards should tell you that they have three really good attorneys at their roles and they really do a good job at that. So I think that no surprises there, but definitely a, a fun style of doing a tournament and a lot of fun to be at. Yeah, the, the awards thing is intriguing. It reminds me a little bit of somehow – uh, sometimes how law school tournaments work that you'll sometimes have like mm -hmm. I won an award at a law school tournament for best uh, closing argument uh, and they often will do stuff like that where they'll do like you know best opener best closer best direct best cross and and mm -hmm. you know you can make arguments one way or the other for the merits of it but I it's certainly an interesting uh, approach to take uh, before sure. we dig into the regional results real quick, we wanted to highlight one other thing, which is that uh, just a couple days before the first regional, the uh, Competition Response Committee released a memorandum that was put on AMTA's website, basically going through the procedure and creating a form that people can use to submit complaints for uh, egregious material invention of fact uh, for this re regional period. Uh, and I certainly thought it was interesting that, you know, in past years, I've specifically this most recent uh, competitive year, when we saw sanctions being handed out uh, under that rule for the first time in a while, uh, I, I wouldn't go so far as to say the procedure was haphazard or anything like that, but it wasn't set in uh, stone as clearly as it is now. Uh, and, you know, I generally think this is a positive thing. I think we could debate the merits of the the reason why this is happening for, for a long time and, and what people think about what's an egregious material invention of fact. But no matter what, you know, I, when I was repping this past weekend, which we'll get into, there was one point where someone came in and, and had a question about that. And we were able to turn them to this resource and say, hey, we can't do anything about this, but here's what you should do. So I was glad to see from a transparency perspective that that, you know, that that happened. Yeah, I agree. I think that uh, timing aside, I think it's good to to do it at some point. I think that it's something that we all want to see. It's something that we've been kind of waiting for based on what we heard at the, the beginning of the year with the board meeting. And um, I'm, I'm glad to see that there is a more formal process now. 
And I think that it, it's hopefully moving us in the direction that we need to as as an organization, uh, as a community with AMTA. Um, and I think that it's it's something that I hope that this is not the end of, though. I think that it's something that we still – it's still, to me, not – as set in stone as it kind of needs to be. Uh, if you even just look on perjuries, there's still examples of people coming up to me and like, is this an egregious invention? And I think that to me, the problem is that different people have different versions of what egregious means. And I think that that's where I, I think that we kind of need some more from the CRC but definitely a step in the right direction. And I'm hoping there is more to come. Yeah, I definitely think it's an issue that's going to be a hot button issue for a while to come, especially if they issue more sanctions this year. It will be very mm -hmm. interesting to see what happens with that. So let's talk about some regionals. Um, we had it. eight regionals this past weekend, was, of course, with the condensed regional schedule with only uh, three weekends this year. Uh, there's a lot going on. Um, so, uh, we're going to walk through each of them. We're going to walk through the eight in alphabetical order, but just a quick overview of, of some of the, uh, facts. Like I said, there were eight regionals, uh, looking at the open bid list. There was only one team with five and a half wins that didn't get out of their regional and only six teams with five wins that didn't get out, which I think probably reflects a common theme that we're going to see with the, uh, increased number of available bids with the ninth orcs. Uh, so let's start in Cincinnati uh, and Cincinnati had uh, seven bids. The teams that got out were Miami a Cincinnati B Michigan B Xavier a Dayton a Miami B and Dayton B. Um, and, and drew based on at least our review there, there wasn't a ton of uh, shocking developments here. Uh, I think looking at, um, I guess I'll say our friend, I don't know anything about them, but the mock analysis, my drug posts on perjuries. Uh, the only team that was a little bit surprising from that analysis was Dayton B. Uh, mm -hmm. And then you had, you didn't have a lot of C and D teams uh, getting through, but you did have Miami A uh, dominating the field, which is not unusual, but it's still interesting to see, um, you know, they're the defending champs. They lost some pretty high profile people. Uh, so I, I thought those were the main interesting points coming out of Cincinnati. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think that this was a, a pretty underwhelming overall uh, invitation. Not to say that it wasn't exciting for the teams that were there, but as someone looking at it, this is about what I would have expected. Uh, Michigan B jumping in there, you know, they're obviously a very strong team. No surprises that they made it out. Um, Xavier's returning from nationals. I definitely think that uh, Dayton was if anything, the biggest surprise there. But Dayton is a, a team that's been around for a while. They've had a lot of success in the past. I think that them making it through, uh, while they may not have been at the same tier as maybe a Miami uh, or Cincinnati or Michigan, they're definitely a, a high-profile team that does not shock anyone to, to be making that list. So nothing too crazy there. Yeah, I, I think I agree. And, and I think that you saw a lot of the teams that you sort of expected to get through and and uh it i think there are several you'll hear the, us say this a couple times there are several of these regionals where there's always going to be one or two like little surprises but most of the teams that you expected to get through uh got through however that is not necessarily <laughs> true for the next regional on our list the claremont california regional which Ow. uh was just insane uh yeah so claremont had nine bids which in and of itself is just kind of absurd. Uh, you had Irvine A, Berkeley B, Stanford A, Loyola Marymount A, Berkeley D, Irvine D, USC C, UCLA B, and Moore Park. Um, and of those teams, four of them, Loyola Marymount, Moore Park, USC C, and Irvine D are unranked. Uh and there's the whole thing with Arizona State that we'll get into in just a second too, which is true. I mean, starting out, man, like having a 32 team regional, I, one of the things I noted here yeah. is there was there was the buy buster, but there was a CS of seven and a CS of 23. Like this is one of the wildest regional results I think I have ever seen. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think it's what what you expect to happen when you have a 32 team regional. Uh, it's it is a massive tournament. I think nine bids is a, a lot. I mean, obviously with Stanford having to, to come down and I think 
bringing a bid with them makes sense in that Stanford A is one of the top teams in the nation and should bring a bid with them. But uh, man, nine is a lot, and and we saw a lot of of weird results. I mean, I think that the the thing that's so tough about this is that when you have thirty two teams, it's really easy for a team to to have a very impressive looking record, but having not really played a lot of other teams that made it out or were even close to making it out. Um, and that's not to say that any of the teams that are on there don't deserve to be there. Frankly, I think any team that's able to get on uh, get a bid out deserve to get that bid out. I mean, you can only beat who you're put up against. But when you look at some of the smaller tournaments, it's kind of harder to skate by without facing one or two of those, you know, top dogs. Um, just because there there aren't as many teams to hide behind, frankly. But um, yeah, I think that the the physical teams to make it out. Um, I think obviously they're the teams that are unranked are always a bit of a surprise. I think in particular, um, Marymount and Moorpark, these are just teams that we really haven't seen a lot of success from in the past. And in fact, uh, for some of them, um, have seen a lot of pretty poor performances in the past. And for them to all of a sudden shoot up into the, the limelight like this is really, really a testament to hard work that they must have been putting in recently. So my hat is off to them. I love seeing this. I love seeing these surprise teams. I think that the seeing the Berkeley D, Irvine D, and USCC um, having these CND teams make it, this does not surprise me all that much, simply out of it's just a massive tournament. And those strong West Coast tournaments just produce great mockers so consistently. And they, they have this program knowledge that it doesn't surprise me that they're able to make a D team or a C team that successful. I think that, um, you know, they, they know what they're doing out there. They know how to teach people good mock and they've clearly pulled it off. I think that in the, in the long run, those are probably going to become some open bids. So to the teams that maybe didn't make it out of Claremont that are, you know, sitting on the sidelines waiting whether it's Arizona State, who is that team with five and a half wins, you know they should be feeling pretty good that they they'll probably be getting that that open bid look uh, in in a couple of weeks probably. Oh yeah, at five and a half for sure, and and that's like I have in my notes here the ninety seventh ranked team in the country, and the fact look like last year for example in Owings Mills we had uh, I think twenty seven teams plus the Bybusters so twenty eight. My B team we lost our eighth bid at the last minute, and my B team went five and a half and and ended up getting an easy open bid to go five and a half at a regionals with nine bids and not get out is crazy. You know, like you, yeah, it really it's, is. It's nuts. It's, and I get it. Like it's California geographically. They're limited. I know there's not a lot they can do. And, and I mm-hmm. don't think we have any great solutions, but I'm like, we're not getting that far away from the size of an NCT. You know, it's like, oh, yeah. it's like at, at what point do you sit down and go, should we have two 16 team regionals at the same site or something? I don't know. I'm not saying that's the solution, but you think there are regionals with, you know, 18 teams and regionals with 32 teams. And, and mm-hmm. it's just, it, it's crazy. I, I'm, I complain about sometimes about competing on the East coast. I'm really glad <laughs> I didn't have to take a team to the Claremont regional. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. I, yeah, I, I think it, it's an interesting uh, problem, I guess, of you know having this massive 32 team regional. Um, I mean, we've spoken to enough members of the board that the problem is not that you know they think that that's a good idea and they would like to do that. We just don't have enough hosts. Yeah. I mean, we're in another record breaking year. We have well over 17, uh, 700 teams in Ampton now. That's awesome. Like, I, I it's great to be growing at this rate. But we need more hosts then. I mean, I think that maybe you're right that maybe having, you know, a, a team host it if they have the capacity to host two regionals on one site. I mean, if that's really possible, maybe that's that's a solution. I, I think that that would be tough and, um, you know, would have its own share of difficulties. But I mean, maybe that's the point we're getting to. I think that you know, Pomona College is is doing a lot to to host as many teams as they are, though, and uh, you know it's going to be a stretch to ask them for too much more. We just got to find more hosts. Yeah, and hats off to them for hosting a tournament of that size. Like that's oh, for that's sure. just a really impressive feat. So we move next to Columbia. Uh, this was the regional that I repped at this past weekend, uh, and so Columbia had uh, seven bids, 
Uh, and in order, you had Georgia B, Emory C, Duke A, Georgia A, Central Florida C, Florida C, and Duke B. Uh, this is really interesting regional to rep. It's actually the second year mm-hmm. in a row that I've repped in Columbia. I had a really great time. Uh, one of the things that I noted is this was the land of brutal judges. Uh, you had 22 <laughs> teams in the field, and nine of those teams had triple-digit point differentials, five positive, four yeah. negative. Um, as someone who did a lot of the ballot math this past weekend, that was a little bit of a pain. Um, <laughs> but it was it was just a very interesting uh experience uh, we had a wild round four uh, tabulation situation which we can get into in a second uh and you also had Furman a uh, not getting out dropping a negative one to the buy buster in round four uh they have five wins i think they got at least a decent shot at, a, at an open bid but that was really surprising um i don't want to get into the intricacies of speculation on why that might have been uh their last round was a plus 18 minus one so you always think in that situation okay what's going on with you know, what you know, one judge seeing it so drastically different than the other. But mm-hmm. uh, I, I, assuming that Furman's able to, to snag an open bid, which hopefully they will, I, I'm sure they'll be a, a team in contention for nationals. But that was still a pretty shocking result to see given their pedigree. Yeah, Furman is this weird team where they always seem to barely make it out of regionals and then do really well at orcs. And uh, I, I don't really have an explanation for it aside from that's kind of what we've seen historically, but uh, I have no doubt that they will get an open bid and, and do quite well. I've played them multiple times this year, and I, I have full confidence that they are a, a team that deserves to be at Orcs, if not Nationals, and, and will do well. I, I do want to say, on the note of these extreme judges, I personally – it's hard because I, I think that I like it from the perspective of – I think that it actually shows like the difference that judges saw between these two teams. And sometimes you'll feel like you walked out of a round like, wow, I just crushed that team or I just got absolutely crushed. And then the point differential is one or two. And that does a couple of things. One, if you felt like you absolutely slaughtered that team, you're kind of second guessing yourself. You know, why did we not win by more? But at the same time, if you thought you just got slaughtered and you only dropped by one or two, it kind of encourages you of like, oh, you know, maybe we weren't as far out of that as we thought. And I kind of think that in general, despite the fact that I may prefer more extreme judges that can really delineate between what they thought was good and what they thought was bad, I think in general, it's better to see tighter point differentials just because it's not making, I mean, I I think that it's just when you get a ballot back and it's minus 50 minus 40 that's just not productive for anyone like i don't think anyone looks at that and thinks to themselves man up until that point i thought we were in the round like i just pretty doubt <laughs> i kind of doubt that and i think that it's just kind of it's going to make that sting a lot worse for that team um so I, I there's obviously nothing that can be done about it but i definitely think that we should keep in mind you know that there's a team that's getting the negative side of that point differential. And that may be pretty hard for them. Um, not that we need to be coddling those teams, but that, you know, it, it, it's tough to, to walk away from some of those rounds for sure. Yeah, it is. And that's something as I, you know, continue th- this activity for a couple of years, like as those, anyone out there listening, who's had me as a judge, like I use the full range. And so sometimes my ballots can skew, you know, in one direction or the other, but it is really important to, to keep in mind those things. You had a lot of inexperienced teams at the Columbia regional. And I think maybe some, you know, some judges who were maybe, you know, more recent competitors and things like that. And, and mm-hmm. didn't have uh, you know, they didn't hold back in, in some of their points. And like you said, it's not about, you know, using the kid gloves on people, but it's also about remembering the educational uh, part of this right. activity. Uh, we did though have a, a pretty interesting pairing situation uh, in Columbia. Yes. Drew. I, and you need to explain this, man. I, I just I, I've looked at it a couple times. I obviously don't have the tab cards in front of me, but man, how how was a four and two Furman playing the buy bus team in round four? So let me try to break it down real quick and then we'll we'll keep moving here. But so as I think most people out there probably know, and if you don't, you should sit down and break down the tab manual before you go to your regional. You get to round four at regionals and you calculate the first out record. So at a tournament like this one with seven bids, you look at what is the eighth best record. At this tournament, it was three and a half. So you take anyone that is two and a half ballots above that, 
which was only one team. It was Emory C, who was six and zero, and you move them into that secondary bracket, that, that's sort of in the in the bottom, and then you take anyone that's there's some more complicated factors, but really it's like two ballots or less than that. Uh, and you move them as well into the secondary bracket. The idea is it that you want the, the primary bracket to all be teams that are fighting for bids. Uh, and so then you, you do the secondary bracket and it's like teams that are automatically advancing or that mathematically don't really have a chance uh, to advance. So we only had 22 teams uh, in Colombia, and seven of them uh, seven programs had two teams at the regional. So there were a lot of, you know, per- potential for impermissibles. Myself and my co-rep, James Boyce, we look at the cards and there are only six teams in the lower bracket. And we can immediately tell that the lower bracket, the secondary bracket is unsolvable because you had the Buster who had already played two teams in that, in of the other five. You had two schools, two teams from the same school. You had Emory at 6-0 who had just so happened also play one of the team's that wasn't doing as well in the lower bracket. And so we went through each of our switches. We had to do every switch in the secondary bracket because you have to solve that first. And we did every switch, including jump switches. And it was impossible to have three rounds that were permissible in that bracket. Because of that, um, we had to eliminate the secondary bracket entirely, go all the way back to the seeding that would happen at the beginning of round four if you were pairing like NCT style for round four. And then do your standard high-low flip of the defense, but you're high-lowing the entire field, right? Because you have no other choice. If the secondary bracket is unsolvable, you still have to have some sort of round four pairings. So at that point, because the buy buster automatically goes to the bottom of of the seating, when you flip, they jump up to the top. And then I think there were, I don't have my cards in front of me, but there was an impermissible or two that moved them down a round or two. Uh, and then they ultimately ended up playing Furman in round four. So it was a really unique situation. Um, you know, is it ideal? I mean, maybe you can make an argument that it's not, but you got to follow the, you know, the permissibility rules about matchups. And we just, it was literally impossible for mm-hmm. the six teams in the secondary bracket to have three rounds that were permissible. And so we had some interesting round four results. And it was definitely something that I, as a, as a rep and as a, whether an interrep or an invitational uh, tab room director have not encountered before. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it, it, hearing from you like that, it starts to make a little more sense. It is really, really crazy. And I think that we don't always have an appreciation for the, the wildness that sometimes happens when you have a lot of teams from the same schools. And when you don't have a lot of teams and you got to do this weird power protection thing, it can get weird. So uh, definitely good to get some clarity there. And I got to say, I do not envy the Amtereps that are going to be solving the impermissibles out in uh, the Pacific Northwest with three or four teams from the same program in a couple cases there. That's going to be a lot of fun for them. Yeah, that that it was I'll say this. It was a fun, like logical challenge for James and I. I think we both like it sort of helped us make sure that we really knew our rules. Um, right. Uh, and, and many thanks to to Laura from Florida and Glenn from uh, Furman who walked us, helped walk us through that whole thing. Um, last thing I think I'll note on Columbia um, is you did have Georgia A and B and Duke A and B take four of the seven mm-hmm. bids. So, you know, you had some interesting C teams get through, but you also had sort of your traditional powers who are still. Mm-hmm. So that I thought was interesting. And and on, on the note of Duke and Georgia, they the two of them have faced each other in regionals and orcs just so many times together now. I, I It's good to see them both getting both teams through, considering last year they kind of knocked each other both out of nationals. So uh, hopefully they will find a way to make it through orcs this year. But uh, definitely the two of those have quite a stranglehold on the Columbia Regional. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, so we moved to Dallas. Uh, Dallas, we had uh, another seven bids. Uh, and the seven bids in order were Rhodes A, Baylor A, Louisiana Monroe A, Rhodes C, Rice B, Louisiana Louisiana Monroe B, and Hendricks A. And then again, as we look at mock analysis as my drugs information, Rice B and Louisiana Monroe B were probably the two uh, surprising results there. Um, not a ton here. Uh, they, they no. were, this regional had enough, had a few teams at the top, but then there were going to be, there was always probably going to be a team or two that that 
I don't want to say snuck through, but that surprised a little bit. Uh, you had Rhodes A uh, sort of doing their thing, although I thought it was interesting that Baylor C grabbed a ballot from them, which is impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Rhodes, you know, like you just uh, they were so close in L.A. and they're so great. And you got to wonder one of these years if they're going to finally get their way back into a final round. Just to see them at the top of their of this regional, not surprising, but still interesting. No, definitely. I mean, Rhodes A C. If you throw Rhodes D or E there, I, I think they actually don't have any team this year. But you know, there's no Rhodes team that I don't expect to make it out of a regional. They're just really, really good at what they do. Uh, I did want to touch on Rice B. I think that Rice B was surprising to a lot of people, and it's it's not that surprising to me. And the reason why I'm not that surprised by it is that Rice is a really, really good school that had a lot of success last year. And yeah, it's a young new team. But I'm not I, I tend to have high expectations for a lot of these younger programs that are just getting started that are from these very, very strong schools. We'll get to it later, but you know, some of these new teams, they have a lot of energy, they've got a lot of motivation to get it to get this program started. And I, I was not tremendously surprised to see Rice B. I think it's awesome. It's an awesome sign for their program that they're getting a B team through. But their A team had a lot of success last year. And uh, this just looks like Rice is going to be a growing power in, in the Texas area. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it is very interesting when you start to see those goals where it's like, oh, their A team's having success. And now you see the B team having success. Uh, so certainly shout out to Rice B and Louisiana Monroe B for doing the same for thing sure. and getting two teams through. Uh, so, you know, Dallas maybe was a, a little bit more the way things were expected to be. Uh, State College, on the other hand, was just <laughs> sort of the land of chaos. Um, you know, you had, uh, let me start by reading the bids before we, uh, get into the, the madness. But so you had seven bids in state college, uh, in order you had uh, an undefeated Penn state D, uh, and then Cornell a Columbia B, uh, Juniata B Scranton, Columbia a and NYU C. Uh, obviously we've already chatted with, um, Haley from Juniata, but they, Juniata B was, um, you know, a little bit of surprise to get through. And then Scranton and Penn State D were also uh, unranked teams getting through. And you had a Nationals returner in Cornell B. Uh, and uh, like I said, we play Cornell all the time. I know you guys do too. Such a mm-hmm. great, respected program. Uh, so, I mean, Cornell B not getting out. And then the the one other thing I wanted to highlight, Drew, and I'm throwing a lot mm-hmm. of stuff out there, but, you know, everybody jokes about the randomness about round one regionals pairings and so of course what do you get round one at regionals columbia a versus cornell a and it's basically an even split a two three split that's it doesn't get much more fun than that to kick off the season or the the regional season and hearing from haley that it was the very first pairing that they did (laughs) the very first tab that got published or the very first uh sorry rounds pairings that got published i think that everyone knew okay the year has begun. Right. Cornell yep. and Columbia are kicking it off. Um, and yeah, I think that the split there is is not tremendously surprising. I think they're both very, very strong programs, both of which are not surprising that they've made it out of this regional and uh, will not be surprised if they see similar success at Orcs. Yeah. Uh, I definitely think that this was a, a, a weird, weird tournament where, I mean, obviously having, having – Programs like Cornell, Columbia, NYU, and Penn State, you know, they're always reliable and we know they're going to be. But, um, man, I mean, I, I don't think people were expecting the results that we did. I think that Cornell B definitely was a team that people would have been expecting to make it out. And yeah. they're kind of joining Furman in this, wait, what just happened area. Um, I definitely think that, again, you know, Juniata B, we've, we've talked a lot about it with Haley. You know, that's awesome for them. I mean, to be sweeping Cornell B, I mean, that's, you know, maybe you can make an argument that you had one fluke judge, but two is a little bit, I mean, I don't know. Uh, Similarly, I think that, you know, Penn State D, I mean, having a fourth team make it is always very impressive. Penn State obviously struggled. uh, Well, I shouldn't say struggled. They didn't manage to make it back to the national tournament last year. But uh, starting out with your D team going eight and oh, definitely is a good sign for your A team. So uh, I'm sure they're feeling pretty good over there. Um, And we're very good friends with Penn State. And I'm I'm sure they're very pleased. They should be proud of that performance for sure. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and shout out to Scranton as well. Um, we, oh, we hit them yes. all the time. I'm sure you guys too, and it's do too. And it's great to see them getting through um, with their first yeah. bid. And you know, it, it it's anyone's game this year. You know, I you, mm-hmm. you with the number of bids that are available and just the the increasing parity across the board in, in college mock trial. I think this is not going to be the only weekend of regionals where we have some pretty unexpected results. The next regional that we have is the St. Louis regional. And uh, again, there were seven bids out of St. Louis. Uh, first, we have Indiana A, then Cincinnati A, then Chicago C, then Chicago D, then Indiana B, then Washington and St. Louis B, and finally, Wisconsin A. And I, I think that this is definitely a regional that kind of returns to form a bit. I think that, uh, you know, after state college craziness, you know, St. Louis is definitely about back on track. You know, Chicago C and D, it's, you know, not their A and B team, but it's still Chicago. Um, Not too surprised to see both of them making it out. Similarly, Cincinnati, Indiana, you know, these are strong programs. Not a ton of surprises. Ben, did you see anything out of the ordinary? No, I mean, so you had NIUA um, splitting every round and not getting through with with a 20 and a half CS and you know, I mean, NIU, we're we're good friends with their program. We scrimmaged them in LA two years ago and and uh, that's that's tough. I I know their coach and I know you know some of their former competitors and I hope I think their B teams maybe got a chance at at an open bid and I hope they get one because they're a great program that has had a lot of success the last couple of years and it's just tough. You hit good teams and you never get a break at regionals and you split. You know, it's like if you split every round, then you're never dropping down enough mm-hmm. that you might hit a a round that's easier to win. Uh, and it can be kind of unpredictable. Um, so that was interesting. Uh, a few other little things that I noted, Indiana, a, I feel like Indiana is a great program. I feel like they're the they're 14th ranked team in the country. They go eight, no, they're mm-hmm. regional. I feel like they don't get talked about, uh, maybe as much as they should for the amount of success that they've had. Um, and then the last thing I, I noted, and this wouldn't be evident from the tab summary, but, uh, no idea why not saying anything about why, but Quincy a and B left this tournament after round three, actually after the round four pairings had been released. Uh, and so they had to completely redo round four pairings. And I know from the uh, Amter rep slack and just from hearing things that after this happened, the round four pairings were just insane. Apparently there were 16 swaps that they had to do, which when you think about, you know, the size of the field and then you shrink it by two, uh, I, that regional, I think Sunday was already delayed by weather and then was delayed even further for round four because of this crazy pairing situation. And so it sounds like St. Louis was kind of a wild ride. Definitely, definitely. I, I think that, you know, it's it's tough to speculate as to, to why a team has to leave. It's always something very unfortunate. But um, it definitely, we can see the ripple effect that it had. Um, luckily, you know, I think that the, hopefully the the final round wasn't too, too warped too much. It may have taken a little while, but um, there weren't any uh, crazy, crazy rounds that uh, I saw. Um, so it, it looks like it may have taken a little while, but the, the right teams played the right teams. And, uh, that's what counts at the end of the day, yeah. obviously for the teams that wanted to get home, they probably would prefer it to happen a little bit quicker, but can't make magic happen. So moving on to the next regional, we have Topeka. So there were a total of seven bids out of Topeka. First Cornell college, a then Creighton, a then Iowa, a Loyola college, Chicago, a. Washington St. Louis A, Cornell College B, and then South Dakota A. Uh, I think that this was definitely uh, not too shocking here. I think that uh, for the most part, a lot of teams that we would expect, Iowa, Loyola, uh, Cornell College, Washington St. Louis, you know, these are teams that we've been hearing a lot. You know, not, not a huge shock to see them doing really well. Um, yeah, Ben, um, do you have any thoughts? I pretty much agree. This this regional pretty much held to form. Um, Creighton A, I think, was the one team that they hadn't gotten through in a couple of years, and so it's good for mm-hmm. them to to get back. Uh, the one little thing that I noted uh, is, and this is not a knock on Cornell College at all, because because uh, some of this came from a, a great round, but they won the tournament. Or I mean, I know that you don't technically win the regional, but they were the top ranked team at the regional with seven and a half wins and an eight and a half CS. Uh, yeah. Six of those points came from their win against Loyola Chicago who went six and two. So it's not like they played nobody. Uh, but 
that, I mean, you see teams get through with like 10, 11, 12 CSs, but eight and a half is pretty rare. Uh, and again, you can only play the teams that are put in front of you. And I'm sure the teams that they played were strong and that they deserve those wins. Uh, so this is not at all meant to cast dispersions on Cornell College whatsoever, who's a historically strong, powerful program. But that's that's just strange, right? It's just one of those right. things that you rarely see a team advance. If a team is advancing, usually they're moving through the power protect. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have to wonder, I did not get a chance to go back and try to figure it out, but I have to wonder if maybe round one had like a crazy uh, disparity in, in the number of teams 2-0 and on one side versus the other, kind of like what we had in uh, mm-hmm. Baltimore last year, Drew, uh, to re- cause you know round two to be a, a round against a team that hadn't had as many wins i don't know but that was the only thing that i specific that caught my eye specifically from the topeka tab summary yeah i mean it's definitely you know an eight and a half cs is always kind of something eye-catching i mean the one thing i'll say is that when you win both round both ballots against someone that's not a lot they're not picking up any cs for that so i mean part of it is that if you do really really well then all the teams you played have to have at least two losses right and again i mean we often see CSs that are much, much higher than eight and a half. But to Cornell College's credit, uh, you know, I think the fact that they swept uh, Loyola Chicago and that were the literal only ballots Loyola Chicago dropped shows that you know they were beaten who was put in front of them, and and you know if they played someone better, they would have beaten them too, frankly. Right. So moving on to the next regional, we have the final regional this week. Uh, we have Wheaton. Uh, so first Wheaton A then North Central A, then Ohio State A, Wheaton B, then Northwood A, followed by Notre Dame B, and then rounding it out with Northwood B. Now, the thing that I thought was really fun about the Wheaton tournament was that similarly to the uh, the Saint, the I apologize, the State College tournament, we have two very, very well-known programs going up against each other in the very first round in Ohio State A and Northwood A. Uh, They similarly split, and uh, both teams made it out. So it just goes to show that when you get that first-round pairing and you say, oh my gosh, I'm playing that horrible team that is really, really good that I did not want to play in the first round, you can still make it out. It's all good. Take a deep breath. (laughs) But uh, it is kind of fun that that was uh, another first-round pairing that was pretty out there. But I think that the results themselves were were not too crazy. Um, Ben, do you have any thoughts on him? I pretty much agree with that. Um, it was interesting and good to see uh, Northwood B get out because um, they're unranked, and uh, you know, but Northwood is such a great, strong program with obviously a, a national championship in their past and, and things like that. That it's not surprising to see that happen eventually. Um, Wheaton B also hadn't gotten out in a couple mm-hmm. of years, and so it was good to see that. Um, you did have a couple, you know, like you mentioned the whole thing with Northwood and, and hitting Ohio state in round one and everything. And of course they, they made it out, but of course they had to sweat through a, a 21 and a half mm-hmm. CS, which, uh, you know, is, a not an easy ride. Um, you did have, uh, McAllister C with the, uh, ever tough, uh, 23 and a half Oof. CS, which is just brutal, really brutal. To, you know, to put it nicely. Uh, but generally, I mean, this this was a pretty predictable regional. I thought it was interesting that you had a clear line. I think the last bid out was five and a half, and the first honorable mention was four and a half. So it seems like the teams that probably earned the bids, you know, deserved to get the bids, got their bids, yeah. and, and things pretty much held serve. But uh, I thought this regional, along with Topeka and a couple others, with the there's always a surprise or two, but for the most part, unlike like Claremont or State College, these regionals pretty much held serve. Yeah, I mean, just to to go back to McAllister, I mean, a 23.5 CS with four wins is about as close as you get to saying, well, what if they played literally anyone else there? Um, I I think that, you know, obviously it's it's very unfortunate for them. Um, I think that four wins is is normally tough to make it off the open bid list, but uh, definitely no one should be turning their nose up against McAllister. I mean, that is just a a really brutal, brutal schedule. And uh, not a lot you can do about it when when you get faced with a 23.5 CS. Yeah, for sure. So we had eight regionals this past weekend. Uh, You know, have a lot of great teams moving forward to Orcs. And we've got nine regionals this coming weekend. Um, Looking at the AMTA website here, we've got Chapel Hill, Columbus, Jackson, Mississippi, Lawrence, Kansas, New Haven, Connecticut, New Rochelle, New York, Tempe, Arizona, Williamsburg, Virginia, 
and a regional in mixed Michigan. And I don't know how to pronounce that. So we're going to roll with it. Uh, <laughs> people in Michigan are probably gonna be really mad at me when they hear that, but I yep, wasn't so expecting <laughs> that. We're going to go with that. That sounds good. Um, a lot of great teams in action this weekend. You know, the, the, the good folks at UVA, the good folks at Yale have got teams in action. Uh, so we will see. I, I think we're hoping to do a similar episode for this next week. Uh, once we have more results and then, you and I are sitting over, sitting around waiting for that last weekend when we uh, get to go to Owings Mills. Oh, there it's creeping closer. Yeah, every day it's we're, we're getting ready to go, <laughs> and I'm looking forward to it. So, Drew, as always, it's good to be back. It's good to break these Definitely. things down with you. Uh, good luck to your program as you guys are preparing, and you know, hopefully, we'll get a chance to do this next weekend, and we can break down the nine regionals that are happening in the next couple of days. Looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. Thanks everyone for listening. As always, thanks again to Haley from Juniata for joining us and congratulations again uh, to them on their bid. That's so awesome to see. Uh, Until next time, until next week, best of luck to everyone out there at your regionals. Uh, You know, practice hard, do that extra work and and it's going to pay off. And until then, this has been the mock review with Ben and Drew.